Welcome to Fun Pilot Podcast, where we are unpacking opinions and changing destinations. I am your host, Shirley Altador, where each week we will chat about how to rise strong out of all types of obstacles that come with relationships. Through personal life experiences and discussions ranging from infidelity, trust, forgiveness, sex, heartbreak, self-love, and so much more. I am passionate and obsessed to provide guidance to every woman to create a better life. Let's dive in, pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. With me, your virtual girlfriend. from Palais. Today we are going to be doing story time with Angela Van Nutt. So before we get started, I wanted to definitely share a little bit about her. Angela Van Nutt is a 37-year-old divorced special needs mom. She has two children, a 10-year-old daughter with ADHD and high anxiety, and a 7-year-old boy diagnosed as high functioning on the autism spectrum. She was a dance teacher for 13 years before deciding to move to Florida to be a full-time mom in her happy place near Disney World. Now she helps people learn about CBD, cannabinoids, how they can help and while creating the hours needed to still be 100% there for her children. She helps moms, dads, and others like her find themselves again and find the time to be themselves. Angela, welcome and thank you for being on the show. Thank you. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Cold. You're cold. Make sure you have your (laughs) warm little blanket because although this is audio, you know, we visually see each other, but they don't see us. So just have your little blanket (laughs) ready. Get comfy to share your story. And I love when people share their story because it's going to be a major eye opener. And even if it touches one woman, this is why this is so inspiring to me. Absolutely. So we're definitely you're ready to tell the world your experience, what happened and how you were able to empower yourself after. Yes. So my story goes all the way back to probably when I was 13, 14 years old, because it goes back to being, you know, when you start building that confidence as a child, I was a dancer my entire life. As you said, I was a dance teacher for 13 years. And as a dancer, you always are brought into this world of looking a specific way. Your body type has to be a specific way. And you're told, in my case, um, weigh yourself, measure yourself. You should be um, on the scale, a certain weight. Um, And it's a very hard thing to go through as a 13, 14 developing child. Um, so already you're, you're kind of broken down comparing yourself to others as a child. Uh, so I started my high school career always in that comparative mode, wondering if I was pretty good enough, comparing myself to the others in my dance class, comparing myself to others around me, found myself a high school sweetheart right away in high school and just held on to him. I have, and I have to ask, sorry, did he go to our high school? 
Of course. And that's another interesting <laughs> thing that you guys will know about uh, Angela. Angela went to high school together. We're not total strangers. So that's why I asked, did the person go to our high school? Okay, go mm-hmm. ahead, Angela. <laughs> yeah. So we were high school sweethearts. He was two years older than me. So I latched on to him as someone that had a low self-esteem already. Um, I think people with low self-esteem tend to do that. You find someone that appreciates and loves you or says that they do, and you hold on to that person very tightly because you don't want to risk being alone again and feeling the void of that underappreciation or insecurity. And then very quickly through high school, um, I found myself gaining a little bit more confidence in myself and realizing that I could possibly be alone. We had been together for four years. I had made friends with a lot of the people in his fraternity. He was two years older than me, so he had joined a fraternity while I was still in high school. And I felt like I had groups of friends outside of our sweetheart high school relationship, our child-like relationship. And although I was feeling more confident, I had been brought into a situation where I was being told what I can and cannot do. It was because I was looked at as the 15, 16-year-old that probably shouldn't have been at college parties. And maybe it was, you know, in my head back then, I was going, oh, it's okay. He's just protecting me. Mm-hmm. It was no sit down, go sit over there. You can't dance. So Please don't get on the dance floor. Sit down. So you're 15, 16. He is already, you, he's out he's of 18, high school. 18, 19, 20 years old at that point. Okay. So we're in 10th grade. He's in 12th grade when it first started. Uh, more so when I was a junior and he was a freshman in college when he pledged his fraternity. Okay, got it. So got it. But we met the individual in high school. Yes, my freshman year, his oh. junior year. Oh, okay. So the yes. gotcha. It was already two years at high school and then he left and went to college and Correct. now you're in junior. Got it. Go ahead. Correct. So my junior year of high school, his freshman year of college, we collectively ended up into this frat scene because he pledged and I was there. I was there all the time. And every time there was a mixer, a party, I was there. My parents were very trusting of me. They had no reason not to be. I'm a very open person. I was in high school as I am today. And I was told very frequently, you can't do this. You can't do that. And in my head at that moment, I was going, oh, he's protecting me because I was still a child in a very college grown-up situation. I saw nothing of it at the time. Um, As I got older and started uh, the process to go into college, I was asked why I was not applying to his college. They didn't have a good art program. I wasn't going. Um, That started causing friction. There were times that I just decided to do things on my own and they were passed aside as not paying attention to him. And I started kind of realizing that things were just 
off. I didn't know what to call them. I didn't know what was happening. I just realized that maybe he was a little bit more controlling since we were together for four years at that point Mm -hmm. than I had realized. And I started gaining attention of other men in my life because as I gained confidence, that started to build. And then I realized that I didn't want to be just with one person. I had been together with him for four years and I was starting college. I was a freshman in college now and he was a junior in college. And so I decided to break things off and just be friends. We had all mutual friends. I had been at the fraternity house for so many years at that point for two years. I do have another question. So, because you know, I have to make sure I ask you those questions to keep our listeners on top of what's going on. Now, did he go to uh, college in the state that you lived in? Yes. Okay. He was right down the road from. Oh, girl, I know where he went. We won't divulge that on here. Okay. Exactly. So I know where he went. Okay. So he He wasn't very, very close. He was local. So it was easy for me to get to. We were together all the time. Got it. So that's why the relationship was able to even continue outside of college because you guys were not far. He stayed close. Correct. Got it. That's what I wanted to ask you. And now when you said after four years, this was more than just a platonic boyfriend and girlfriend situation. It did get romantic, correct? Correct. It was not heavily romantic. I, um, it was a very strange chemistry. We very much were more connected as friends than physically. We were intimate a few times, but in four years for someone my age, it was not what I thought should have been happening. So it was much more of a um, controlling aspect of a relationship, very verbal and manipulative now that I look back at it as far as a relationship wise, more of a verbal communication, having someone always being there as opposed to fulfilling a physical need. Okay. And that's interesting that you say that. And, you know, of course, there's always several sides to a story. He's not here to share his side, but you felt at some point, because that's the reason for the breakup, that it was controlling and not in a healthy way because there, I feel like there's a, there are some people who are very dominant and may perceive yeah. as controlling, but they're not. But Correct. this was controlling. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And you said something interesting about within four years, would you say it was like a handful of times, one handful that oh, yeah. you guys were intimate within the mm-hmm. four years? <clears throat> yes. Now, I know men are always hyperly sexual individuals or they society perceive them to be as that. Because if a man is not wanting to jump on you like a bunny rabbit, then you want to question well, what the hell is wrong with you. So right. did that ever cross your mind? Absolutely. Which again, goes back to that self-conscious, you know, I'm trying to gain and build my confidence as a woman And almost in the same point of the controlling aspect of the relationship pulling me down, then I'm wondering, well, what's wrong with me physically? Because he's not wanting that. But now I have 
other people that are kind of looking at me at a, in a different light, maybe it's just our dynamic, which was giving me the triggers and enough wherewithal to say, okay, this, this needs to end. Okay. And at that point, again, I'm only 18. So being with someone for four years was a long time at that point. And I wasn't about to continue with something that just wasn't working. That's good. That's courageous. You were able to do that and realize that and be accepting of that. Okay. So now we're at the breakup point. So how does the story continue? So again, I'm an 18 year old with mostly male friends going throughout my high school career as well. I gravitated towards males being in performing arts. I was always around most of the males in the performing arts department anyway. Mm -hmm. And we, we stayed friends and I continued to go to the frat house when I was home on the weekends from college, continued to go to see some of the brothers that I met because Growing up with them for two years, they felt like big brothers to me. Um, And then unfortunately, that is where my self-confidence took a turn and the story kind of shifted for me because I had so much trust in this group of people that I put myself out there to them. And one weekend I went back to the house to hang out as if I normally would. I first went in to see my ex-boyfriend, say hi, and, you know, just tell him I was going to see a few people to hang out with for the weekend and that I would make sure to say goodbye to him before I left. Um, That happened pretty regularly. It was nothing out of the ordinary. But that night... I hung out with one person that decided that I was coming back too frequently without anything physical happening anymore. And I was taken advantage of by two different fraternity brothers that night and passed from room to room. Okay, so I have to now get my clarification filled in. So we've broken up with X. You are... Out of high school or is this tor- okay? So you're out of high school now, but yes. you guys are not going to the same college. No, you went to some art school. Now, Correct. the people you were hanging, we're not talking about your art friends who took advantage of you. We're talking no, about the his boys fraternity brothers. Got it. Now, here's what's interesting to me. I'm assuming the breakup was amicable and healthy. Yes, very. So that's the reason why you continued to keep in contact with your ex. Yes. Okay. So when you went to the frat house, they felt basically you coming here, you need to pay to come here. And the payment involved physical payment. Were you lethargic? Were you completely aware this was happening? Was it a decision? I didn't understand what was going on. I went like I had been going for months to hang out with boys that I felt were friends of mine that had basically taken care of me for the last two years, treated me like I was their little sister and hung out on the couch. And I guess um, 
in my mind at that point, I felt like they were telling me I had overstayed my welcome. So I sat down. It started like any other night. We were hanging out. We were watching a movie. They had poured me a drink because, I mean, what 18-year-old goes to a house who now was allowed to drink because I didn't have the boyfriend anymore. And they told me it was what I wanted. It was what I was worth. And that if I showed up at that house again, that's what was to be expected of me. So these frat boys verbally told you this. How many months have gone by since now you've broken up with your boyfriend? It was only a month. Only a month. So he was... So I had been in that house going back and forth for maybe three, four weeks, thinking, like, this is great. We're going to remain friends. I'm going to get to keep my social circle and have these guys that I thought were amazing people in my life taking care of me and treating me like a little sister just completely wipe out my expectation of men in one evening. So I'm picturing this in my head here. You're telling me one night you went, you weren't, you were completely sober. And these boys said to Angela, you want to continue coming here? You need to give some shit up. And I was terrified and I didn't know, I felt worthless because I had broken up with him. I had no, no one with me. And I, was someone that had a very low self-esteem at that point. Mm -hmm. And this is where, you know, we go back through these stories that we tell each other or tell ourselves about confidence lacking. And we tell ourselves that it was our fault that we put ourselves in this situation and we allowed it to happen because we allowed these things to happen because of our mindset in that moment. So even though in my head, I'm saying, no, 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 this is not what I want. There was nothing stopping me from being physically abused that night because I didn't mentally have the capacity to scream, run and say those things in that moment. And I essentially felt like I let it or allowed it to happen, if that makes sense. No, it does definitely make sense because usually when you're put in that situation, what happens? You question like, well, did I do something? Could something different have been done? And then you now you ask yourself these questions in your mind. And then now you're beating yourself up like, why didn't I see the signs? Why didn't I see the cues? And it's kind of like so unhealthy because it's like, it doesn't matter. You just got raped or taken advantage of. Your next step is go to the authorities, report this person. But that's not that's not that's how not we're what thinking. goes through your head. No, nope. you're going through your head going this guy that I know loved and trusted because they were big brothers to me, took me under my wing, met my parents at my high school graduation party, you know, really protected me for two years, just pull the rug out from under me while also making it my fault in the process. So it's interesting you use the word they protected you for two years. Do you feel as though they felt as though you were untouchable because you were dating their friend? 
Absolutely. And I became touchable the minute I broke up with him. And was your ex-boyfriend there that night when these activities took place? He was. And he had no idea. Well, I guess when you think of a frat house, you think of a big frat house. So realistically, this man could have been sleeping in another room. And whatever room you were in, these boys were taking advantage of you and he didn't have any idea. Now, it's interesting that you say, is this one of the reasons why now you look back? And this is not a justification, but when you're processing your head, like, is this the reason why he never wanted me to drink? Most likely. It's, it's, It's a very real realization that in that situation, he was all, like I was trying to say before, probably protecting me. But in that situation, I felt very controlled. Okay. Because that's another thing I was going to ask you as well is he didn't allow you to drink. Were you ever in the presence of those boys without him being next to you? I had been before, but was but again, it just, it goes back to that untouchable. Oh, okay. You had been before, but was it a situation like a very similar situation when the activity took place that night? Or was it a situation you're sitting on the couch and he's going in the kitchen to get something to eat? And that's the loan. Exactly. It, it was a very small window of opportunity if they were going to try anything. You never went to that frat house without your boyfriend being present with you. You just never walked up in there while he's at work (laughs) or somewhere else. He was always present with you. Correct. Okay. All right. It's interesting because then I go from, okay, so was he really being controlling or did he really truly know the reason? And I wonder why he didn't say, you know what, Angela, I need you to stop coming here since we're not together anymore. Did he say that to you? No. He he did not. No, because we were... We essentially ended our relationship as friends because we, there was no physicality in our relationship. So we knew we were basically just friends and we enjoy each other's company as friends. And for me, when we stopped the relationship portion of it, he didn't have the ability to tell me, you can't do this. You can't do that. Don't go here. Don't go there. And we became that dynamic of, okay, I can allow her into my life and she can sit with me, but I can't tell her to stay. Why do is this something you verbally told this guy? Uh, no, but I believe he probably realized it that very first time we hung out and I said, hey, I'm going to go talk to this person, which was someone I wasn't necessarily always allowed to go and speak to on my own. Which, hey, might have been for good reason now that you go back and look at it. Gotcha. Okay. (laughs) And I guess, did he try stopping you and you said, no, I'm going? Or he just didn't say anything? He didn't say anything. Okay. That is interesting. All right. So how long did this last with the frat boys? It was only that one time I never said goodbye to the ex-boyfriend. I walked out of that house and I never went back. How many of them were there? Two. This was like the whole entire night? It was that both of them one time each and I left. Okay. So now what's happening after you, I'm assuming after this situation, you did not go back, correct, Angela? No, absolutely not. Okay. So now after you get home, 
Did you call the ex-boyfriend? Did you tell your parents? Because I, you, are you close with your parents at this time? I'm, my mom is my best friend. And she, truth be told, has not completely heard this story until this past summer. Okay. So she, all these years went by. It's almost 20 years. Yeah. And you're now just telling her because I'm assuming you're now filled with shame and felt as though like you're literally beating yourself up because this is what happens in your head. Right. Yeah. And I totally understand because there was a situation where I was totally taken advantage of. And even till this day, I asked myself like, uh, what could I have done different? What did I do? How did it even get that far? So right. I'm assuming just like me, all these thoughts are now going through your head. Did this just happen? Why did it happen to me? What could I have done differently? Could I have screamed or could I have done this? Could I have done that? So did you ever speak to the ex after this to like? As a matter of fact, my ex became a very good friend of mine, again, when we both had our daughters. Our daughters were the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple years after my son was, or right after my son was born, he had some health issues. And I reached out on Facebook looking for urologists. And him and his wife reached out to me because their daughter had some health issues. And they gave me recommendations And we actually all became very good friends. Um, It wasn't until about two or three years, two years later, when our daughters were in dance class together and I decided to take a walk with him while they were in class that I told him what happened. And I felt that it was the time to apologize for leaving so abruptly and never speaking to him again. Did he make attempts to reach out to you or something? No, but it just was something that I felt like I needed to do to heal that part of guilt because I shouldn't have felt guilty. I had every right to leave. But Mm -hmm. again, as a victim mindset, you feel guilt for something that you didn't do anything wrong. You all there's there's guilt attached to a a victim mindset, mm-hmm. and until you release guilt, you can't move forward. So there was a lot of guilt there for me that felt like I almost abandoned him, even though in that moment it was the other way around. That okay. sense of abandonment. Um, so I explained, and I uh, he was very upset, very hurt that I couldn't reach out to him, hurt that he was in the same building when it happened. Um, and we just discussed it and moved on from it and managed to have a, a, a very good friendship for quite a while. We still talk every once in a while. I'm very good friends with his wife. Oh, that's good. That I yeah. mean, that's good to see. It seems like you and him really never, there was never really truly an issue with you and him. It's just you no. chose to bro- break things off because at that time you felt as though he was being overly controlling. But, right. you know, um, obvious- as a 14 to 18 year old, you see things yeah. very differently. Yes, yes. And, okay, so now... After the incident, 
you told no one because you said your mother Correct. only found out a few years ago. Your daughter is 10. So we're yes. talking about he only found out a few years ago as well, too. Correct. So after the incident, Angela tells no one. She goes on with life. How soon after this do you get married? It was, so that happened when I was 18. I did not get married until I was 24. I met my ex-husband when I was 23. Okay, so you guys were together a year before you got married. And so we're talking about now five years has gone by. Did you, how soon did you share it with your husband? My husband did not know until a few years into our marriage marriage. He had known that something had happened to me, but throughout those five years between my rape and my, um, meeting my husband, I had a lot of confidence issues, a lot of issues of being physically abused, date rape, or just not being able to tell whether or not it was that I was allowing it to happen or that I was wanting things to happen. I had a very blurred line of this is what I want versus this is what they want. So I should just do it. So one thing that crippled you from the situation, you're telling me after the situation, your dating life had basically changed because you don't know if you were performing sexual activity because you were just doing it to please the person Correct. and not doing it to please Jessica. I'm just, where the hell did I, what the fuck? Not doing <laughs> it to please, not doing it to please Angela. Right. Okay. So before you met your husband, all this dating and stuff was happening, but the sexual activity wasn't enjoyable. No, it was, it was an act. It was what okay. I felt was supposed to happen because I was told that that was what was fulfilling my worth. That was what was giving me my worth. My body was my worth. Okay. That was all I was good for is what I felt or what I was told. So it gave me that sense of, well, if someone is coming in and wants to go out on a date and then they're making this innuendo at the end of the night, well, then that's what they want. And I need to basically be submissive to that or they're not going to want to go out on a second date with me. Gotcha. So it created that now mindset as though Absolutely. if I say no, I may be taken advantage of. And I'm just assuming this is probably how your mind is processing it. And as you just Absolutely. said, you know, if they if you say no, they're not going to want to go out on a second date with me. So I, or they're going to take it anyway, because that's what happened the last time. Exactly. All right. Now you weren't raped as a virgin. You were not a virgin. Correct. Okay. Correct. You, you were not a virgin. I was not a virgin when I okay. was Okay, gotcha. So how did you end up creating a relationship with your husband, your ex-husband, I should say, getting married? How did you find comfort in that? Were the first few years hard sexually? Um, I started the relationship almost the same way as I had started every date, but he didn't immediately go into that physical realm which okay. made him more of a safe place for me okay. because our very first date did not end up with me in his bed, oh, okay. which was shocking to me that things like that happened. Mm -hmm. um, I felt safer with him than I had with anyone the past five years or four years. 
It's okay. So, this is the realism of the audio. We, right. People have dogs. We have pets. You know how many times oh, yeah. my two human children come and like look at me and I'm looking at them like, what do you want? <laughs> right. So he, I mean, granted, it still happens quick because I didn't know what else, you know, that was my mindset at that point was, okay, well, you know, we need to have physicality in order for him to stick around but our first couple of conversations were all over the phone. I met him online and we didn't meet for two weeks. So we had lots of verbal communication, phone calls that lasted a few hours. And there was more of a knowledge of who he was as a person before being thrown in physically, which okay. I think made me much more comfortable with him to extend things although we did move very fast we had we he slept at my house with my I mean my parents lived there but they allowed him to sleep over very quickly I slept at his apartment within a week of knowing him mm -hmm. his parents met me two weeks after we started dating oh so I see what you're saying things were moving it, quite quite fast everything moved very quickly with him because we both um, within the first two weeks of our relationship kind of said, we've, we've done a lot of things in the last few years, um, admitted that we weren't really proud of a lot of the things that we had done in the last few years and that we were just ready to have a serious relationship again. And I think that's, that's what prompted us to both approach this relationship differently. So where he didn't necessarily know my previous history, it was the way that I implied the last few years of my life. Gotcha. Now, how was, when did that turning point take place? I'm assuming now all these years, because after the incident, you tell no one, Angela, no one at no. all. You kept this to yourself. You was continuing life as though nothing just happened. Correct. So now you get married, you're with your husband how many years into the marriage did you finally tell him and what was the turning point? Why was it affecting the marriage? Was it affecting your sexual life? What made you now want to open up and who was the first person you opened up to? Was it your husband? My ex-husband found out within a month of knowing me that I had been sexually abused. He didn't know the extent and he didn't know exactly what happened, but I had a traumatic experience with him in the middle of the night. Um, you know, men get horny any time of day. No, it was we... pitch black in the middle of the night and he tried to grab me in the middle of the night and start something and it woke me out of a dead sleep and I had a panic attack. Gotcha. And made him turn the lights on so that I could see his face and know that it was him and had to explain why that threw me into a panic attack. So even though I still at that point couldn't go into detail because I had never spoken the words before, I have been sexually abused. It made me realize that I needed to at least acknowledge the fact that it had happened. Mm -hmm. And he just apologized 
And that was the end of it. So till this day, does he not know the details? He's found out again, same as my mother this past summer. Oh, um, we had had a lot of issues with physical relationship after my daughter was born. Mm-hmm. We had gone through five miscarriages, okay. one before Savannah and four in between her and my son. Got it. So when you're constantly trying to get pregnant, you're getting pregnant and you're losing your pregnancies. Sex became a job for us, and then it also became a very daunting experience for me as a woman, becoming pregnant, losing a baby, and having this traumatic experience essentially after sex. So I went to therapy. So now you're married and you're going to therapy. And the reason that you were going to therapy is because of the sexual abuse or because of your marriage? Um, because of the marriage and the miscarriages. Okay. So I'm assuming at some point during the therapy, um, the sexual abuse conversation. Absolutely. Okay. So you were still trying to suppress that in your mind because Correct. your reason for attend- of, of initially going to therapy was for your marriage Correct. and for the miscarriages. Correct. Okay. Gotcha. And how, Savannah's 10. Yes. Is was that a quick pregnancy? How long were you guys together before Savannah? So because you had a miscarriage before her. Yes. So we tried to get pregnant and it took a year and a half after we got married to get pregnant the first time, which was a miscarriage. I see. Okay. And then after that, I mean it only took three months and we were pregnant with Savannah. Okay. All right. So it wasn't quick. No, no, no. Okay. So that was Lots of testing, lots of progress to try and get pregnant. And then the very first pregnancy was a miscarriage. And then very quickly after that, Savannah was, we were pregnant with Savannah. Okay. All right. So how, how was therapy? Like other, uh, I guess not talking about the miscarriage, like what made it, is it the situation you told me about when you were in the car and that's what that was part of it. Yes. Made you finally t- tell the therapist what was eating you up inside, because yes. I'm assuming you going to therapy about your marriage. Was it because number one of the physicalness of the marriage was definitely damaged? Yes. So I went to therapy at the hospitals for my miscarriages. When you have that many miscarriages, you are given a counselor, um, someone that can talk you through the the mentality of going through that much pain and mm-hmm. everything like that. So that was a different therapist that helped me through those things, but they were not someone that could help me through the changes that I was going through in my marriage at the same time. Um, were, once your, my, were your miscarriages ahead. all DNCs? Like all at the hospital? I did not have any DNCs. Were they I all actually, at home? I miscarried every single pregnancy at home except for the two ectopic pregnancies that I had. I had to be given injections of methotrexate to essentially dissolve my pregnancies. Gotcha. I get you. And I asked because I, my miscarriage was at home. The doctor asked me, do you want to have a DNC or do you want to pass it at home? I chose home. So I only had one. I can only imagine what the fuck five feels like. Yeah. And the two 
the two ectopic are the reasons why I sought the hospital counseling because those were pregnancies that you can, when you do the ultrasound because of how far along we were, you can see a viable child with a heartbeat, but they were in my tubes. So to take an injection and dissolve a pregnancy, an actual baby, that was a very difficult thing. We, I went to church, I went to counseling, I did a lot of, a lot of help with those. Gotcha. So how did your husband go to counseling with you or did you just did do in, individual counseling? I did individual counseling. My ex-husband did, did not, does not believe in getting help. Don't feel bad. Men, I think no, the, many I mean, men feel that way. There's a reason way. why he's my ex-husband. <laughs> many men feel that way. Your ex-husband is not alone. Many men, I no, think. And, exactly. And that's one discussion I'm going to love uh, that's going to be incorporated in this podcast because many right. men do not feel as though they need to talk to anybody about shit. Right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Girl. Yeah, I did I did a lot of counseling on my own behind his back. He I don't even think to this day he knows that I did the hospital counseling about the miscarriages. It just, I, you knew I had where to the, go through them. Yeah. You knew where the conversation was going to go to. And to keep your Absolutely. peace, probably you were just like, fuck it. I'm not sharing this shit. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but when, I mean, when my son was born, he had a lot of health issues. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of health issues and I was, just starting to understand the idea of personal development. I, one of my good friends, my best friend had started doing, you know, network marketing and I was like, cool, whatever. I'll jump on board. Sure. Let's go. I had nothing better to do. I had a newborn. I wanted to lose weight. I was like, sure, I'll join you. Um, and it was probably the best thing I ever had done. It was the first thing I was doing for myself. In a really long time. And it was the first thing that took me out of the role of mom and into the role of Angela. Gotcha. In years. And then I met this personal development coach who was essentially my therapist for a year. And getting back to what situation you're talking about, I was asked to tell him my victim story. And when I started talking, I burst into tears. I could not get through this story without crying. And he hung up on me. Because he was initially the first person you really truly told. Because you never. Absolutely the first person I had told. Went into detail with your husband. Your husband just knows something happened. This woman refuses to share it with me. So he was the first person you told. Yes. So essentially this personal development told coach told me when you can stop crying and call me back, you can have your session and hung up on me. And I was floored because I had just spent an exorbitant amount of money to get this man's services. I felt like he had just punched me in the gut telling me my story was almost like my story was not good enough. Mm-hmm. Here I am bearing my soul, crying my eyes out, and he just hung up on me. So I was angry, and I called him right back, and he said, how do you feel? I said, I'm mad. Like, I'm angry. You just 
fucking hung up on me. And he was like, okay, use it. Because in reality, you're not angry at me. You're angry at what those people did to you. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with me. Use your anger to tell your story. And very quickly, you will learn to not be a victim. Mm -hmm. And it was so true. And it was a really fucked up way to do it. To get me to be more angry about the situation than to be weepy and emotional and have the emotional connection to the story. Instead of being so overly emotionally tied to my story, I can now pull my emotion out of it, tell my story to become more powerfully connected to it, to use it to empower me to move forward instead of crying and hoping that somebody feels bad for me. Because that's what I was doing by showing and crying those tears and saying, feel sorry for me. I am a victim. I can still be a victim of rape mm -hmm. and a victim of, of sexual abuse and a victim of verbal abuse. But I am now an empowered victim that no longer cries over the situation because I don't need anyone to feel sorry for me. Gotcha. Now I have two questions for you. Yes. Do you feel as though, number one, if you had gotten help or approached the situation differently, it could have saved your marriage? Now, of course, you can't change the past and there's really truly no perfect answer to this. So think about that. And also, what was the turning point that made you regain your power? Um, I don't believe that anything could have truly saved my marriage because... I'm not saying that it was all my ex-husband's doing, but he's not a man that believes in therapy, mm -hmm. believes in getting help, believes in servicing the need of your mind, body, spirit, mm -hmm. um, blames a lot of life on past experiences, whereas I don't place blame on my past experience. We don't place blame. We allow it to affect our life in a positive way. Now we use those bad experiences or past experiences, like you said, to empower our life in the future mm -hmm. and give us the, the momentum to move forward in a different way. Gotcha. And he doesn't see the negative in his past experiences as a way to push him to a different future, if that makes sense. No, I get you. Because all of my personal development that I've learned over the years, I have, you know, it's very hard not to have those discussions with your significant other in order to help them. Because you're always in that, that helping or teaching mode. You do it with your children, you do it with your friends. Any discussion is a way to grow, learn, and, and develop, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, and although we were able to have discussions as a married couple, there was never a glimmer of wanting to change gotcha. or knowing that he had the ability to do so. So two things. Number one, it's 1130. I still want to continue. Do you have the time? Absolutely. Okay. How has that affected the way you handle certain situations now? So based on what you went through, and I guess we're speaking more sexually. 
Yeah. Has it affected your dating life after your divorce? It has and it hasn't. Okay. I will say I am, I absolutely know my worth. I am not the way that I was at 18, 19, 20 years old, where I feel like a man can just come up to me and touch my arm or touch my body and tell me that that is acceptable. Mm -hmm. It is not. Mm -hmm. Um, I made a post on Facebook the other day that said someone creeping in my DMs telling me they wanted to get me naked is not the way to pick me up for a date. You know, it's the way that you are spoken to as a woman, as a human being, it's, I will absolutely teach my children better. Girl, I'm right there with you. That approach line does nothing for me. I look, delete. they don't even get a reply, girl. Delete. No, block and delete. Um, yeah. No, it's absolutely given me my own confidence boost. Because I have a different view of my Mm self-worth. I have a better view of who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. I can sit down during the day and know that it's okay to be alone. I don't need a man Mm -hmm. if I don't want one. Mm -hmm. I'm happy by myself, happier by myself with my two kids. But it would be nice to have someone to spend certain moments with. Mm-hmm. So approaching the dating world now is just completely different because I know that my dinner conversation is not going to end with me throwing myself at a man because I think that's what he wants. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. How long have you been divorced? Technically. Technically. <laughs> when were those my- papers signed? The papers were signed November 2nd, but I have been... 2020? Yeah. Oh, shit. You're newly divorced. I moved out in August. However, the last three years, we have not been intimate. So y'all was living together, but not intimate. Correct. I don't know how people could do that, man, because if Khalif and I separate, dude, you got to go because (laughs) you have got to go. I can't be living in the house with you, looking at you, knowing you probably doing somebody else. And maybe I'm doing my thing, too. But I think our connection is too close for me to be doing that I've heard that many times too. Like, oh yes, yes me and, and my, my husband are separated, but we live in the same house. He's upstairs, I'm downstairs. And I'm like, what? My victim mindset though, even though I was through it, very much came into play with that. And I would explain the last couple of years too, you know, I I need verbal, physical touch and to feel affection in other ways besides physical touch so that when we do go approach a bedroom situation and a sexual encounter, I don't feel abused even by my husband. Okay. Okay. It was very much a mindset thing for me because he, he can say all the things he has the ability. He did it for 10 years, 11 years at that point. But then all of a sudden there was a shift and the verbal communication stopped and the little physical approaches stopped holding hands, hugging, 
little kisses before bed, those things, which when those things stop, and then you approach me to have sex, you're now going into my window of abuse. Because you don't now want me for me. You just physically need a body. Now, this is after your therapy, correct? We're talking about this three years is after the the Correct, which is why, again, we go into that series of I know my worth. I know that I'm better than that. And even though you are my husband, it is it is more fulfilling all of the love languages to Mm -hmm. get to that position of where Mm -hmm. everything can come into play. And those therapy sessions were no longer happening for us as a couple. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of culminated this last year where I knew I was better than that and deserved more than that because I absolutely just moved on needed to fulfill all of the sides of my life. Exactly. Now, um, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, and I had a brain fart. So you see, this is why I tell people if you need to think. And I was just <laughs> thinking about what I was going to say. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. That's what I was going to say. So um, I do believe, too, and this is why therapy is so important. Because you went through that situation, you suppressed it for all the years that you suppressed it for. You got married already in an unhealthy emotional state. And I'm assuming, you know, and this is not what this is about, but physically it probably affected your marriage. And there's always another side to the story. So uh, we can't hear your ex-husband's side right now, but maybe... um, you know, and this is why therapy is important, because maybe if you had gone as a couple, individual is always important, no matter if you're in a relationship or not. Therapy, I'm 100 percent in support of therapy. It's yeah. necessary. It's needed. It's a way for you to release that rotten seed that's growing inside of you. You got to talk to somebody about things and trying to hold things up because even I think as women sometimes too, we even think like, I'm strong, I can handle this, I don't need to talk. No, you do need to talk about things and let things out. Uh, there are other people probably going through the same similar situation you went through or have been through or can relate. Um, and it takes it takes healing and therapy. Therapy yes. helped me. So I yes. do believe maybe if your husband had at least participated in the therapy, it would have been great. But if you're anything like me, Angela, it's more, I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. And definitely exactly. don't f- fucking do shit because I'm asking you because then you don't even yep. want to be there and you're not going to be at your best because what? Absolutely. You're just saying yes because you... Because I told you to. I told you to and you don't want an argument and you want to try to hope you get some tonight. So... Right. I'm, let that was just us go. four years ago because we <laughs> we circled this four years ago. Four years ago, I said, um, I'm not getting the love, attention, affection that I need. And if, if you don't start giving it to me, I'm going to go somewhere else for it. Mm-hmm. He didn't give it to me. Okay. And I went somewhere else for it. And he knows we had that discussion. And he knows that I absolutely found it somewhere else. It only lasted a very short time before he said, fine, I'll go to therapy. But it was almost like it was forced into that situation. And I forced his hand by doing 
what I did. Mm -hmm. I cheated on him. I found someone else. Mm -hmm. And it only lasted a couple of weeks. But it was that forcing to get him to say, fine, I'll go to counseling. Yeah. We went to counseling. And he wasn't receptive. He wasn't receptive. He said what he needed to say in session and then went home and the action steps weren't there. The only action we took, which, you know, I say it all the time, things happen for a reason, Mm -hmm. good or bad. They put us in a place that we're meant to be in that moment. If it wasn't for me cheating, us having marital issues, all of the issues that we had through that time and deciding that we needed a change of place, I would not have moved from New Jersey to Florida and I would not have been put in the situation where I said, I can do this on my own because I am in my happy place of Disney World where Mm -hmm. I know I can go and I can survive and I can do my thing and I can have my kids and I can be happy Mm -hmm. and I don't need him to support my happiness. Gotcha. And I agree. It was a very eye-opening experience, but I had to go through all the motions in order to get to this point. Lots of healing. Now, what do you have to say to someone, rather someone who was raped and is not handled it appropriately, Uh, rather someone who recently got divorced or is going through the process. Uh, you have, you know, quite a bit of experience under your belt, married and and verbally telling your husband, I'm going to sleep with somebody else. Do it and right. then come back like, so what you going to do? <laughs> right. right. I mean, listen, <laughs> I, mean, I am a very aggressive person. I think going through a rape, being told for years that you're worthless, finding that one person, a very aggressive therapist, uh, counselor that says, essentially, be quiet and stop crying. Mm-hmm. Um it shakes you into a different kind of person, somebody that does know how to stand on their own two feet. And for me, you know, it didn't happen overnight. I was 18 when my rape happened. And it's still hard for me to say the word rape because in that moment still, I didn't say no. In my head, yeah, maybe I was going, this is ridiculous. What is happening? I don't even know what to do right now. But I didn't open my mouth and say no. So in a legal situation, would somebody even say that that's what happened? I don't know. But I was absolutely abused that night. You know something. Was it the glimpse? Because with me, the only reason I know something happened is, you know, of course, my drink was laced. But it was for a moment, I was quickly conscious and I saw myself in a sexual position. And in my head... It, it, it's crazy because I don't know what the drug is called, but I can see what's happening is not supposed to be happening, but I right. could not physically do anything. You couldn't move. No. So it, the only reason I know something wrong took place is just for a quick second. I saw that glimpse. Right. Girl, even to this day, I don't even know how the hell I was able to walk into the house. I literally woke up like, I cannot recall shit from last night other than that one simple glimpse after walking into the person's house. 
So I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very fine line of like saying and doing and everything, but it's, it's one of those things, you know, I just would tell somebody, you know, when you're ready, you're ready. When you're ready to admit the things that have happened to you and release them, it'll be the best release that you will ever have in your entire life. Because the amount of toxic energy that those moments in your life consume you with just are not worth it. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. It's such a hard thing. And I mean, like I said, I was 18 when those things happened to me. Mm-hmm. It affected, I will be 38 in May. Mm-hmm. It's almost 20 years later. It affected almost 20 years of my life. And although my session with that counselor, that personal development coach happened five years ago, it still has taken these other four years to get me to a place where I could say I can stand on my own two feet, be a powerful single woman and know that that's okay. Even though four or five years ago during our sessions, he got me to admit that I was not in love with my husband. Mm. He got me to admit that I wasn't in love with myself. And he got me to admit that the only way I saw myself was as a victim. Gotcha. So it takes work. It takes really, really hard work and a lot of tears and a lot of crying and screaming. And for me, I set a lot of shit on fire. Like that was very therapeutic for me. I wrote a lot of stuff on paper and I set it on fire. I had bonfires in my backyard all of the negative things I thought about myself, all of the negative things that had happened to me, I, I wrote them down and I set them on fire. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, you know, that's great advice to offer someone. And as we end today's story time with Angela, I, you know, her and I, we just want to leave and say this, that if you've been in a similar situation where you've been raped, number one, help is definitely important. Don't suppress the issue. You know it happened you know what's wrong. Don't fight the fight by yourself. Get help because it affects the people around you. And for years, Angela was just sexually like, this was a serious sexual trauma for her. You know, sex was not enjoyable. Sex was like, you know, she already put it in her mind as a chore and she always looked at it from an angle as though it was an, an, uh, an abusive act. Something that she wasn't agreeing to, even though it was happening. So I am a strong advocate of definitely get therapy if therapy is needed. Um, And, you know, when it comes to therapy, it might not be the first session. It might not be the second session. It might not be the third session. You might have to put a little work and find somebody that you're really compatible with. And I don't say that to say that, you know, oh, I need to find somebody that's going to give me the answers that I need. No, therapy is like a puzzle. Um, If it fits, it fits. Therapy is like a friendship with your counselor, a season of your life that that person comes in and they 
give you the help that you need. Once that season is over, that season is over. But you don't want to be friends with somebody that you're not compatible. So you don't want to see a therapist and the compatibility is not there. So get therapy, get help. Um, don't create that victim, victim mindset because it only cripples the people around you. Rape is real. And you can't judge somebody or say, you know, oh my God, how are you lying and say you went through that? You did this. You don't know what the person experienced. So you should not be the first to judge if somebody said they went through something. Just be an ear for them to listen to. Angela went for what? Over 10 years with this situation. Was it over 10 years almost? Mm -hmm. Almost 20 now. Yeah. Before she finally decided to realize like, I need to get help and I'm not okay. Yes. So, uh, there's going to, there's going to be more of story time coming. And if you definitely want to write in, comment on Jessica, why the fuck am I saying Jessica? (laughs) Where is that coming from? God, who is this Jessica? I don't know. <laughs> that There's going to be a Jessica coming today. Listen, Mercury is in retrograde today and that full moon is messing with something. So that's the second time I said that. And I have not dealt with any Jessica or anything. I don't know why. Oh, girl, a Jessica is coming for you. I don't know. I I don't know if it's a positive (laughs) or negative, but this Jessica keep popping out my mouth. But uh, as I wanted to end and say, these story times are just absolutely touching. And even if Angela with this message can help one woman, that's what our intent is here is for one woman to hear her story and say, I'm not alone and I need to do something about my situation. So you could definitely write in. You can definitely fill out the form on the website. That information will be on the website when this episode is posted. If you want to to remain anonymous as well, I can always read your story on air. Either you could remain anonymous or you can divulge who you are. Maybe coming on air is not something you're ready to talk to me about. So you can always write your story in. But as always, we want to thank you guys for listening today and love yourself, voice yourself and be yourself till the next podcast guys have a great day thanks for tuning in to Fampale podcast if you want to continue the conversation or share your takeaways I want to hear from you. Head on over to the website or join our Facebook community and comment your favorite part of the show or share your thoughts. I want to hear what you have to say. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Chat with you next week.